Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week, we'll be looking at Parshat Bo, this week's Parsha, and the last three plagues, but really specifically locusts. So this week's Parsha Bo contains the last three plagues, locusts, darkness, and the killing of the firstborn. And by the way, the what I'm going to be looking at today is partially based on an article by Professor Gary Rensberg on the fantastic resource website, thetorah.com. Now, he points out something that some of us may know already, which is many scholars are, scholars are in agreement that the plagues, at least some of them, were direct attacks on the power of different Egyptian gods. So the first plague, turning the blood in the Nile into water, was an attack on the Nile god. The plagues, um, excuse me, the frogs are an attack on um, the frog goddess, um, the the other ones like like Arbe, I mean, excuse me, Aro um, with the wild animals, our attacks on um, other animal gods, etc. Now, what he argues is that the eighth, ninth, and tenth plagues that are in this week's parsha are all directed at Ra, the sun god, who is the sun god Ra was had a higher status of god in Egypt, was one of the highest powered gods, and so would have been higher status than the other ones that we just mentioned. So there are two real ways that we derive this. And so first of all, we'll just consider the nature of these three plagues themselves. So we're told that when the, the locusts come in and they cover everything, right? All of the land everywhere. And by the way, just as a side note, locusts, are a very serious um, phenomenon that do happen in parts of the world. And, and you know, we sort of think of this as, as one of the more benign plagues in that, like, compared to wild beasts coming in and ravaging you, like, you know, this maybe isn't so bad. But actually, locusts have devastating effects. They swarm in by, like, you know, the, the thousands and the millions even, and they can really just it, it have enormous destructive nature um, over the land and vegetation, etc. So they swarm in, and they're so powerful that they cover everything. And actually, the verse even tells us that the land darkened because of them. And not just that the land get dark because there were so many, but also we're told that they covered Ein Haaretz, the eye of the land, which many understand to be a reference to the sun. It's sort of a random reference here, one we don't really see elsewhere in the Torah. Um, but certainly, knowing that the sun played a big role in ancient Egypt, really the, the fact that the Ein Haaretz is here can very likely mean the sun, the eye of, of the land, um, the thing that, that gives forth life, um, and the locusts are able to cover that. So it's a very clear demonstration of God's plague overpowering the sun. Darkness, of course, the ninth plague, that doesn't need much explanation. I mean, it's clearly so dark that that you are paralyzed and cannot even move. It's the complete absence of any light. And the firstborn sign is not quite as obvious, and there are different theories. I won't go through all of them now, but also just to point out that it happens um, you know, at midnight, the peak of the night, right? The total absence of the sun, when the sun is the weakest. And showing that, you know, the sun does have weaknesses and that God is able to come in and overpower the sun as well. Now, so that's one way that these three plagues represent a shift um, uh, going the next level against ancient Egypt. But also, um, there's more hints from the text, and specifically the text that introduced locusts, and that's what I want to look at now. So, if we just if you if you want to follow along, this is um, chapter ten in Exodus, and. So the introduction, um, Moshe and Arhom, they go to Paro 
and they say, um, God says, you know, how long you're going to refuse to let my people go. And if you don't, then tomorrow I'm going to bring locusts on the territory and they're going to cover every surface and no one will be able to see. But not just that, they continue, that the locusts are going to eat whatever was left after the hail, right? So the hail had come already, destroyed much of the crops. And now we're told, well, really Paro's told, that the locusts are going to come in and they're going to eat whatever was left over that the hail didn't destroy. But not only that, the achal et kol ha'etz, they're also going to eat all of the trees. Now, and then actually, for, and then in the next verse as well, um, Moshe and Aaron say that, uh, that it's going to be so bad that it's going to be something that your father and your father's fathers that no one has ever seen before. This is going to be an unprecedented level of destruction. Now, what's significant about that? But it's saying that it's the crops. Well, first of all, of course, the crops are the immediate source of food. It, the, the hail had destroyed a lot of it. If if whatever is left is now completely destroyed, well, then this is really serious. There's no food source left. But also, I was struck that it's not just the crops, it's also the trees. And we know from Deuteronomy that when we are in a time of war, we are not allowed to cut down the fruit trees. And I think what God is really saying in that verse is that when you go to war, it may seem like the world is in a total catastrophe chaos and you do whatever you need to do to survive. But you don't get to. You don't cut down the fruit trees because you don't cut down a future source of life, maybe for you when this war has ended, or at least for your children. It's a reminder that whatever's going on right now with you for war, etc., there will be life again. And you don't get now to step in and destroy that that future source of life. And so when the, the locusts destroy the trees, or they're told they will destroy the trees, really I think what Moshe and Aaron and God are communicating is that this will not just destroy your present. This is also going to destroy your future. It's going to be unprecedented in the past. No one you know is ever going to be able to see it again, has ever seen anything like it. But also you are making sure that no one is ever going to be able to see it again because you are destroying not just your crops of the contemporary of your present food source but also you are destroying your future allowing your trees to be destroyed is the ultimate act of fatalism it is the ultimate act of of denying a belief in the future and a belief in the future of growth and productivity and paro by ignoring what Moshe and our own say is really here stating that he doesn't value the future of his own people, that he, he doesn't have faith enough in the, the fact that Egyptian society will change and it will evolve and grow. He is willing to take everything down now, both his current people and their children, in order to defy God. Now, one thing that's so wonderful about this introduction to locusts is that after Moshe and Aaron say these things, right? All the trees will be destroyed. No one's ever seen anything like this. Avde Paro, his own people, turn to him and they say, how long are you going to let this go on for? Can you like stop this already? JPS translates it, are you not aware that Egypt is lost? 
right? They see what Paro cannot see. They understand from God's message what Paro himself cannot understand, which is Egypt. If you let this happen, Egypt is gone. There is nothing left. And we see that over the course of the plagues, the Egyptians are catching on a lot sooner than Paro is. Um, They're realizing what's happening. They're realizing that their gods cannot fight the God of the Hebrews, that this is done. But so they see so clearly what is happening here. But then we have to look at verse 10. So Paro then says, okay, um, fine to go back and get Moshe and Aaron. And then um, fine, you can go, but who's going to go with you? Moshe says, everyone. And so Paro then in verse 10 makes sort of makes fun of them. And he says, oh, yeah, sure, of course, God, I'll be with you. Of course, I'll let you all go. And then he says, ki ra'a neged um, the GPS translates this as clearly you are bent on mischief. In other words, no way I'm going to let you go. You guys are obviously up to something. Ra'a neged right? You have this sort of like bad, ra'a, evil, bad um, ulterior motive, I guess, is a, is a way to think about it. But Rashi and others actually take this ra'a and they take it in a different direction and, and quote this midrash that says that actually kochav echad yesh sheshmo ra'a, that there is this star, this, um, um, this astrology type thing um, that is called ra'a. In other words, this is like a veiled reference possibly to the Egyptian god Ra'a, that, that Rashi is telling us that there's actually double language to this little phrase in the verse. That Paro is on the one hand saying, I know you guys are up to Ra'a, but also this can be translated as, behold, Ra'a, the sun, Ra, the sun god, is coming up to meet you, is going to challenge you. In other words, Paro was saying, yeah, of course you all go, but my God, Ra, the sun God, is going to come and is going to take you down and is going to fight you. So this is really interesting because it's saying it's, this isn't just um, Paro sort of making a mockery of Moshe and Aaron saying, I don't trust you. This is Paro exhibiting still what everyone else knows is a totally misplaced and um, naive, I guess, belief in the power of the Egyptian gods over the God of the Hebrews. And he's saying, nope, you know what? I still think Ra is going to come and is going to take you down. And of course, he's proven wrong immediately when the locusts descend and destroy everything in sight and cover the sun. I mean, God's dominion after the locusts is unmistakable and is undeniable. But there's one more thing I want to focus on from Arbe before we conclude. And this is something that I noticed and I looked and I haven't seen it in in any of the commentaries or resources. But if you know of any and you're listening, please send them my way because I would love to see material on this. But I was struck that when Paro finally asks Moshe and Aaron to remove the plagues, um, there's something very interesting happens. Now, when the other plagues are removed, they just kind of retreat. They disappear, with the exception of Sfardea when they die and then they rot and it's gross and etc. But with Arbe, the language is that God sends a wind, the different wind than the one that brought them in. And then the language is, They are swept up, and the JPS translates as they are hurled into the Yamsuf. They are just thrown in there. 
So you can imagine that the wind brought them in and another wind comes up and sweeps these millions of locusts up and dumps them in the Yamsuf. And I was actually really struck by the similarity of the imagery and the language um, between this and what happens to the Egyptians at the crossing of the sea. So when they're in on the land, um, after it had a split, the Egyptians, the Israelites have already crossed over. Now they're there and they're, the wheels of their chariots get stuck and God confuses them and the water's closing in. And then Moshe sticks out his, his arm, outstretches his arm over the river, uh, the water, excuse me. And then um, the language is Vienna air. Hashem et Mitzrayim betoch hayam. Here, JBS translates the word the same way. God hurled the Egyptians into the sea. And the next pasuk is, and then lo nishar ad echad. And there wasn't even a single person left from all of Egypt, just like there wasn't a single locust left on the land. And um, so here we have that the disappearance of the locusts really linguistically and image-wise parallels the ultimate destruction of Mitzrayim, of Egypt, at the crossing of the sea. And I think that there's something really important about that, 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 that touches on the shift um, between the first seven plagues and now the last three plagues. And it seems like the message here with the eighth plague, there's really an ultimate confrontation. God is saying to Paro, whatever is going to happen is going to completely lead to the ultimate destruction of your people. There's going to be no food left, both for you and for your children. And also, this is going to overpower your God. Right? It's almost like giving Paro a last chance of saying, like, you know, you've destroyed your society 90%. There's 10% left hanging on. You have a chance to stop this now. But Paro, in his own stubbornness and his own, um, really, I mean, just like foolish belief in this point, still in his own God, in the sun God of Ra, says, no, Ra will still come get you. And is so wrong, um, both, of course, because the locusts destroy everything, and then there's darkness, and then the, the firstborn. But really, I think what the message here of the parallel between the locusts being removed and, and hurled into the Yamsuf, and the eventual Egyptians, just a little while later, all being finally completely annihilated by being thrown into the sea, we see this message emerge of these last three plagues, I believe, which is really that when you have such a misguided belief and stubbornness in something that is so clearly false, and you are willing to take down your own people, not just your own people, but future generations also, in order to remain stubborn in your belief and refuse to believe that you are wrong, then that is something that is going to lead to your entire destruction of your people. And that is really, I think, the tragedy of Paro. You know, we can read him solely as an evil person, but really, I think he's a tragic character in many ways. He's a man who is so mired in his own confidence, in his own stubbornness, and his own immaturity that he is willing to take down his entire people, even his own children, in order not to threaten that narrative. 
And here what, what, what we really also see emerge is some of the most important values of the Torah as well that fight Paro, which is a belief in the future, um, a belief in not destroying the world around you um, in order to achieve your own narrow goal, but really to recognize that whatever you are struggling with, whatever your present reality is, there's always something um, stronger and, and more superior and something worth believing in for the future. Shabbat Shalom.